This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the Value Inspiration Podcast. My name is Ton Dobber, and I'm the founder of Value Inspiration. The purpose of my company is to help business software companies rethink what can be to become remarkable again. The goal that I have with this podcast is to inspire new forms of value creation by sharing compelling ideas and stories about the potential that we can unlock when technology and people blend in the right way. So my strong belief is that we can think big, and therefore we should. And doing so will help to create a better world for all of us. This podcast is all about that. My guest on the podcast this week is Lisa Chong, Senior Research Associate at the Center for Policy and Competitiveness at the Ecole Pont Business School in Paris. What we see now is that China definitely has taken a different approach than traditional uh, American approach or a little bit conservative European approach. If we play the game according to someone else's rule, one way or another, it's difficult to catch up. I would like to focus on three keywords when I'm explaining this. One is innovation. The second one is entrepreneurship. And the third one, which would be the leading result of the competitiveness as a nation. What I see in China is that we, in 2015, we create called Mass Entrepreneurship Mass Innovation Initiative or campaign and by our premier, Mr. Li Keqiang. The whole culture of innovative and, and, and entrepreneurial, it's out there. Because we're latecomers, so therefore we can uh, kind of shortcut. Uh, we don't have to go through those obstacles and difficulties. This is Lisa. Her research domain is entrepreneurship, innovation and competitiveness. And at this moment, she's working on a comparative study between European companies and culture with Chinese companies and culture. And this triggered me, and hence I invited Lisa to my podcast. We are exploring the differences between China and the Western world with regards to the approach that they take towards entrepreneurship, innovation, and competitiveness. We discuss what China is doing different to speed up this innovation, how they successfully encourage people to start their own business rather than to take a wait-and-see approach when they're automated out of a process, and last but not least, how this approach could turn into a very beneficial cultural difference to prevent us from getting a universal basic income. By listening to this interview, you will learn three things. Firstly, how you can protect innovation in downturns by creating an invisible protection shelter. Secondly, why investing in incubator programs fueled by students are great ways to accelerate innovation. And thirdly, that motivating and recognizing people are simple and very effective tools to scale success. Okay, Lisa, to get the podcast going, can you give the audience a little bit of background about yourself? Okay, thank you, Don. And my name is Lisa, uh, Lisa Sean. Sean is my surname, typical Chinese surname. 
I've been in China for around 29 years, and then I jumped out to get to the Western, uh, to Europe. Currently, what I'm doing is that I'm the, uh, I'm the senior research associate for a called the Pompison School. And my research uh, domain and interests mainly focus on entrepreneurship and innovation in China, that in, for, for China cases. I'd love to do comparative study between uh, uh, European companies and culture with Chinese companies and culture and to see the differences between these two and then from where we can learn and from where for individual case we have to avoid. At the same time doing my uh, doctorate and my research, last research proposal was on the spousal commitment for entrepreneurs and how it's going to influence the, the entrepreneurs for its uh, entrepreneurial activities successful rate. So uh, okay. that's basically about it. Yeah. So yeah, that's, that's, by the way, a very interesting topic. So, so what is the essence of that, uh, that study that you're suggesting? Well, and of course, I study, my main focus is on China, China case. I haven't had a concrete conclusion like result yet, but mm-hmm. what I feel, okay, what I feel is that... Um, in China, since family bond is so important, and the spousal commitment to support the other half to engage in the entrepreneurial activities, no matter it's uh, it's going to be successful or it's going to be failure, he he or she will forever be there to support. Will have a positive. I, my my gut feeling will have a positive uh, correlation with the with the successful rate. And yeah. yeah, and in China, when when you marry, you take into different consideration. So family is bonded with finance, social uh-huh. networks. So if your spouse is uh, very committed and supportive, they will introduce, they will give you the money, <laughs> the finance, and they'll lobby their family members to support you, give you okay. the seed fund. And also they, uh, they're going to help you solve a lot of concrete problems with this social networking, uh, you know, besides they, they're being supportive and emotional support. Yeah. Okay. That's an interesting one in itself. So going back to your to your main focus as a researcher, entrepreneur, entrepreneurship and innovation, what do you believe is is the single or what are the the most or the biggest differences between China and Europe or the, the rest of the world? So let's put it make it a little broader with regards to entrepreneurship and innovation. Well, I think first of all, China is a latecomer in uh-huh. terms of its economic development and and global integration and global exposure. It's a latecomer for sure because we started in 1978 with the economic reform. And what we see now is that China definitely has taken a different approach than traditional uh, American approach or a little bit conservative European approach because through this way, we can catch up the many years that's already been built by industrial revolution back in time and the uh, internet uh, development because the whole monetary system in the world or even the rules of the game economic game i call it it's 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 set by western world and us dollars as the anchoring for transaction yeah. international transaction so and china it's uh, i think china it, overall the the our cabinet are very smart they sense it, they feel it. If we play the game according to someone else's rule, one way or another, it's difficult to catch up. So that's why we set up another way of dealing it. 
and and trying to make our R&B uh, stronger. And then we get the money with, through international trade to consolidate the finance basis and then to think about the innovation as the next step and how to do investment, how to push people as entrepreneurial spirits into towards that direction. So that would be my answer to your question. Okay. So what concrete examples do you have around it? What, what is an example that we would recognize that has happened as a consequence of this accelerated innovation in China? You want me to give an example like as a company or as a social event? Yeah, well, both. I mean, at the end, uh, these things come some, sometimes come from both ends. Well, okay. I would like to focus on three keywords when I'm explaining this. One is innovation. The second one is entrepreneurship. And the third one, which it would be the leading result of the competitiveness as a nation. Okay. Yeah. So when we look at the, um, I start with the entrepreneurship is because it's a big, it's a big buzz world, word, like everybody's talking about and how to increase the entrepreneurship spirit with your own company, with your own country. And then so you have more startup engaging in new activities and looking for the next opportunity and then to push for innovation. So everybody's talking about it. But for different land, different parts of the world, you have different ways of doing it. What I see in China is that we, in 2015, we create called Mass Entrepreneurship and Mass Innovation Initiative or campaign and by our premier, Mr. Li Keqiang. And I would like also to specifically mention about this, this guy's, our premier's profile. He has an economics degree mm -hmm. from Tsinghua University. So rather than coming from the background as a politician of international relationship or liberal arts or philosophy, this guy understand economics. Yeah. So it's very interesting. So since 2008, when the world was experiencing crisis, China had that as well. But China put certain amount of money inside the country to cushion the, the influence, the impact outside. So we create a, as if a certain called internal dome. Uh -huh. So within the dome, you have a, you have a invisible, invisible protection shelter. So cushion out the outside impact, but we yeah. create the ecosystem around. So follow that up and now... The issue would be because a lot of the overcapacity of the construction. Why the, why the construction overcapacity? Because the money specifically was put into the real estate. So therefore, a lot of buildings are being built private or public infrastructure. And all of this money goes in and the bubble inside creates. So we have a lot of buildings. We have lots of construction workers where the next hit is going to be. So when our cabinet facing this issue and how to solve this problem and push the next, next GDP or next growth upcoming, that is very difficult. So the central government is the lead, taking the leading role in Chinese economy and everybody knows about it. So when people are getting no job, or overcapacity being unemployed because of no market. Yeah. And then how to, how to liberate those type of, the big chunk of uh, uh, labor that is on the top of agenda. And then at the same time, 
you have our graduation uh, education has been expanding. So you have more students every year graduate with a bachelor degree or even a master degree. Yeah. So people are intelligent. This overcapacity in education and overcapacity in the uh, previous industrial reconstruct, like reconstruction, right? Industrial reconstruct. So how to liberate these two labor and our premier promote rather than seeking for a job and want it to get employed by someone else within the existing system and which by the way needs to, to, to be adapted and needs to be altered the system. So the government encourage everybody to start their own company. Okay. Looking for their opportunity and trying to contribute and to try in this new era. So this is an interesting phenomenon. Yeah, exactly. With the overcapacity people, how can we deal with that? Either you get them retrained, encourage them to try something new, because sorry, we cannot uh, provide what you are already good at. We need you to make a change. Right? Yeah, exactly. Or the educated people, because they're fast learners, and then they have a deep understanding. They're young, they're passionate, which means they have, we call it, they have the cost, they have the value, they have the cost to fail and to try and to push for the next, uh, for the next growth. So we encourage them to take the time and then to, when, during the time when they're even inside the college, during their college time, we encourage them to start their own project within the ecosystem of incubator and supported and funded by the government and the, and the school and the district government, selecting great projects for them to work together, to train them not only how to develop a project, give them the skills, but also because of their domain, a lot of them are software engineer background, engineers, to try and to push for the next innovation. So from this both sides, and we can see that by elevate people's mindset to to actively engage in doing something and getting yourself employed and then you can solve that problem and with the bigger pool you have think about you have a bigger number of pool of the startups the successful rate will increase and let alone there is a learning curve out there because the more you train, this is actually what I learned from the Silicon Valley and that I had a trip one week ago to visit yeah, that Im- area. I yeah. can imagine that because if, you, if, you, yeah. if, if there's unemployment and the, the government doesn't want to settle with that, so they actually encourage everybody to, to, to change, and to, yeah. to become an entrepreneur, particularly with uh, the opportunity these days, of course, is in technology. China must now look like one big Silicon Valley, correct? It looks like a great, <laughs> uh, how can I answer this one? Everybody's getting busy. Everyone is trying to, to create something. Everyone is trying to succeed and trying to push the new project. From this sense, yes. But in terms of the maturity, the, 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 we still have, um, we still need to learn. But in okay. terms of the spirit is out there. Because I have to be very practical and frank with the, st- with the statistics and the facts. Silicon Valley has stayed many, many years. So if you want to compare, I would say China, a certain part of China, not the big, all of China, because Silicon is just part of US. I cannot say all of US. So certain parts of China, 
they are like Silicon Valley like 10 years ago, like okay. very getting very active. So what I, I, to follow that conversation, what I learned in Silicon Valley is that because we talked to the venture capitalists, we talked to the incubators, we realized that venture capitalists, they like to invest on the same crowd of people. This is so surprising. They like to invest on the same crowd of people and to give them the learning curve to fail and to retrain them. They fail again. Let's invest them again. So which means they, they're, treating, they're treating entrepreneurial activity as a repetitive learning curve rather than, okay, let's invest in. It's not working. Okay, we, we go for another one. No, you keep investing the same team. They were not, they're not succeeding this time. They will succeed in the following years. Yeah. This is a very interesting finding. Yeah. So I think China is doing the same. They're investing a lot in the existing people who are in the, in the field with entrepreneurial activities. And also they're investing a lot with the fresh rookies, like young yeah. graduates. Yes. So, 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 so from your, from your mm-hmm. trip to Silicon Valley recently, you visited all kinds of interesting companies. What was the main takeaway from that? And what can the world, well, yeah, what can everybody learn from this? If you, if you compare it, for example, with China? Well, I, uh, that's a very interesting because I, I went there as the identity of representative of the Europeans, mm-hmm. right? Because I took the whole, we, I went with the, with the EMBA participants, like students, they're there to observe and to see and trying to bring something back to Europe. And because, but at the same time, because of my identity, I'm a, I'm a, a Chinese and then I do research on, on Chinese cases. So that established a triangle, like three, three point triangle look on the innovation and entrepreneurial activities. So from the European standpoint of view, I think European has been too comfortable for quite a period of time because of these uh, rigid labor law, because of those conservative ideas, because it's been succeed for such a long time and everything worked out fine. They're like, we don't, we don't need to put so difficult and to work so hard for the next, next boom, next boom. So European, they, what they need to get is most of the time, I think it's the um, entrepreneurial spirit. Yeah. How to create the cult- entrepreneurial culture how to create the innovative culture because entrepreneurship and entrepreneurial activity and, and innovative activity, it doesn't come out just like overnight, like one second. Okay. It takes the mindset difference and overall culture change. And this is the, this is the killer because it's contradictory to what the European union in the past was trying to create, create an area, create an region that is just for ourselves. Uh-huh. And then we live everly, happily ever after. You don't, and then we give you good welfare so you don't have to worry about anything else. Yeah. You, have, you, you are the smaller screw inside the big machinery. You just keep working what you have to do, and that's it. So yeah. to give you reassured. But this is contradictory to, to the entrepreneurship because entrepreneurs are risk takers. Yeah. And, and it's, dictor, it's different from the risk of aversion, right? So they want you to try. They allow you to, to, to fail. Even if you failed, it's not a big shame. Actually, it's glory. It's glorious to be, you know, to, to even have the opportunity and tried to fail. So it's contradictory. 
What is different from China is that China, the whole, because of the initiative, the education, entrepreneurship education, even one thing I haven't mentioned, for every Chinese college, upon graduate, not really, two years before you graduated, and we will have those called career mentorship class, mm -hmm. career mentorship uh, courses or classes. So we have professor or people in the field or somebody practitioner from the company get to you as a student and to tell you what to do. How, how, can, how can they help you get employed? How can they help you with the incubator programs? How can they push you to, to work for yourself and for the next, to be more, to, to, to be proactive? Yep. So the whole culture of innovative and, and, and entrepreneurial, it's out there. For China, the point is, how can you give the right mentorship and skills for them to succeed? How yeah. can you invest in the right people, I would say? Very interesting. So from, from what I've learned, the, the, the differences in, in how the, the government is supporting this, that's a big thing that's different from, from what, what the rest of the world is doing. There's a difference yeah. in terms of, of the Silicon Valley approach there are some differences there that that's, uh, that help China to get an advantage, and it's it's all about doing the catch up faster than than all of them before. So, where do you think China is at the moment with regards to to catching up, and, and in what areas do you believe maybe that's the more important thing? China is getting ahead of the world. Well, there's some in terms of innovation. Actually, we we have some leading leading industries around the world. Of course, with the government involvement, because a lot of them are state-owned companies. And it's very easy to see with the, first of all, we have the aviation. Long ago, we launched the, uh, uh, China is trying to, trying to put on its, um, launching its own uh, aircraft. Because the world is dominant basically by Airbus or, or um, the uh, Boeing, right? And China learning from the previous previous cases, both uh, of the Airbus and, and then the uh, Boeing. And we're learning also to add our own engineer touch on top. So trying really hard to create our own aircraft. And second would be, we talk about supercomputers. Because in this trip in Silicon Valley, I visited the uh, NVIDIA. So NVIDIA, and then they're talking about supercomputers super, uh, super and then even give it a, a sample. We took a picture. Everybody was crowded there. Like, oh, this is a supercomputer. It's a very, it's tinier version than, than what we used to have, like probably five years ago. So it's shockingly, it's it's very condensed. We're getting smaller. Okay, supercomputer China is taking the lead, and also some of the um, wind turbos, and it's a world recognized companies, and also the uh, auto manufacturing, automobile. Because I think the world leading growth rate is in China in terms of the population and enhanced the understanding that, uh, that uh, when you get married and you need, to have a, uh, you need to have a car, you need to have a car. That is a very cultural <laughs> event and very cultural thing and, and real estate for the houses as well. But is it also the type of cars then? Because I see that there's some, there's some good investment going on then and some leadership taking on in uh, sustainable energy. Mm -hmm. transportation in itself of course learning learning from the mistakes of others that's of course also a benefit of being a latecomer so to say that you started with started with yeah yeah exactly is, the car so industry, what, is it, is it uh, all electric it's prioritized 
Well, it's it's a very interesting observation, though, because we're latecomers. So therefore, we can uh, kind of shortcut. Uh, we don't have to go through those obstacles and difficulties, and then uh, over the past when uh, the sure. Western world just learned. So combined with with the Chinese uh, government, uh, uh, it's called the new energy uh, approach. China is trying to push into the new energy, the solar panel, and uh, electric cars as well. So, so the government has put a lot of incentives into the e car, e vehicles. Yeah, true. So with that government incentives, and then it goes to not only research base to produce the cars adaptable to the to new uh, renewable energy, but also it puts uh, money to compensation intensives to to marketing and products. Well, so the end user, when they're buying cars, they can be subsidized. Yeah, that's the way to get these these things going. So with the Big Silicon Valley building up in in China and the government support for that, the the young generation that's coming in and that's being encouraged to be an entrepreneur rather than find a job and and live mm-hmm. a life about to get orders from others. Mm-hmm. What is happening in this case around technology such as artificial intelligence, machine learning, robotics? How popular is that, and how is that taking shape in China here? Well, at the at the moment, the Chinese government has been invested heavily on AI technology. And first of all, because AI technology is heavily dependent on the data and the data needs to be labeled. And the labeling process is the fundamental way to train the, the, the computer to recognize thing and to process information and therefore to increase the efficiency of working and the able yeah. the ability capacity to help to help humans in this part i would like to to make my point understand or clearer with one example that i gained from the visits in uh, navidia in silicon valley so this company is changing uh, diverting how do you say migrating from the original like the fo- like the graph a processing ability as a company now is more moving into the the AI technology and robotics now. What they show us is that the product, the processor they create, there's an online database, and uh, specifically for the events of Olympics, Olympic Games. So in this Winter Olympic Games, you see in the ice ring and uh, sorry, the skiing track. So. They're players, they ski, and then they, on, on their body, there's some brand labeling. Along the side of the aisle, you have the labeling of the brands as well. So in the past, the differences of AI and humans and how AI can help humans to, to have a better job and then to process faster uh, of humans' job. I didn't know that. This is really shocking. So in the past, there will be, there would be somebody sitting in front of the, of the TV and to manually count how many Audis pop up, huh. how many seconds the Audis pop up, how many, uh, let's say, uh, the uh, Philips pop up. They have to manually cur- and, and to jot down everything as if we are the caveman trying to count yeah. to apples collecting from the field. And I was like, that is so shocking. I didn't know. Until now, because of the AI technology, and then they can recognize through the internet with the scanning because of the labeling. So automatically, simultaneously, on the left, you have a window of the Olympic Games alive 
you know, the different angles, they're live on this channel. On the right side, there's a small column is reflection. It's refreshing, it's, a, it's numbers. How many times the audience pop up. So the speed is super fast. You think yeah, about it. Yeah. All of this job, like a couple of years ago, it's done by humans. And the, do, does yeah. people, do people like it? I, I don't think so. They're going to hate it. <laughs> Nobody likes to count numbers. And then it's, it's really hurting your eyes. And now it's so easy because of the AI technology. And this will fundamentally and transform how people work. What's the definition of work? And if we source, we go into the origin of that technology. It's based on we train, we train computers, we train the system to process the data, how to recognize and faster in a way. Okay, that that is one my example. So if we want to go back to the why it's how it's related to China, just because China has a big population. And every human activities, we call it human activity. They are central, they're central around and focus on humans. True. So when one person, human being, creates the daily activity, let's say consumption would be buying stuff, going to restaurant to eat in terms of family, household, you have to send the kids to school, getting back, and all of these activities will be multiplied and tripled by its population. So China will be a great place to train those data, to train those uh, computers to process things faster. Let alone because the government, central government, has the ultimate button. Because the central government can consolidate the big companies to process everything in a short time, which, by the way, in European countries, or I don't know about America, because of the egalitarian, and people now, even in France, are debating on strike. Uh-huh. How can you make that as a joint collaborative project happening in a short time? I don't know. Interesting. So you believe that, that on the one hand side, the technology evolution in China is accelerated by by the size of its own people and, and by the size that data can be created in order to feed the, 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 the artificial intelligence, correct? Well, I, I believe it's, a, it's, it's within the ability, two ability. One, how government invests. Second, how government engage every Chinese yeah. in the age of AI, artificial intelligence, to work together, to activate, to accelerate. Think about it. If everybody's working towards the same direction, yeah. it's, it's easier to make things happen. But if you have a lot of the boys, you spend a lot of time trying to debate and, and, and people got tired debating rather than acting. True, That's how I true. feel. Yes. Yeah, I think this is also, I mean, making a link to what, why I started this podcast in the first place. I mean, it was to have a, a counter argument to all the fuzz and all the negativity about uh, in the news about artificial intelligence and robots are going to take our jobs. Well, that is, of course, happening in China as well, like any other part of the world. China has, has got the answer to, to avoid the universal basic income, but everybody is talking about as a solution because they just encourage people to, to create their own journey. This is a very fresh point, actually. Being a Chinese and, and that I stay there for so many years, 
I don't see there's a universal income first place. But our China has been criticized about the 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 welfare system is not good enough. It cannot cover everybody. But there's a, there's an, another counter argument for that, because since 1978, our forefathers, the reform, the ultimate um, designer, we call it economic uh, blueprint designer. His name is Chairman uh, Deng Xiaoping, which personally I really respect. So back in time, China was poor. When we first established, but our Gini index was very decent. So it's around like 20%, just like what we have in Europe. But the thing is, everybody's poor. So you want to, everybody's poor, or you want to create a sense of urge, want to grow, want to do something, and then to do, to make it happen. So that's a critical issue. Or you want everybody just dying, you know, in, the, in poverty. So in 1978, our chairman, Mr. Dunn, he created the, the economic reform. It says, we allow certain people to get rich first based on their hard working and taking opportunities and risk. Then we will urge this rich people, this part of first rich people to help the latter part to move forward. So it's already in there in our, in our government policy and back in time, 1978. So now we're moving on the stage and trying to, yes, we have a lot of billionaires is already uh, on the global ranking, right? Uh Yes. Our inequality rate, it's, it's hiking, but the government is taking the next step. How do you want, how do you move the first rich people? You see those examples and role models and you, you move the latter half, you know, who always say, oh, I don't know. I don't see it happening. Why are we working so hard? Now they see hope. They see hopes because the people are doing it to move those people, motivate them to engage them, to have them not only socially inclusive included, but also economically included to allow them to work hard, to incentivize them to yeah. get to the next step. So I don't think China would vote for universal social income i don't see that no. i think no one will vote for that but i think there's there's it's it's a too easy option and i don't think anybody would like to have that because it's it's just you know you get something for nothing and what where will it get you so i really like this approach yeah from my understanding i'll be like i think it's very utopia yeah. china tried a long time ago at uh, during the chairman mao era we, um, because that's the time we, we kind of hate capitalism and then or privatization. We, we despised privatization back in time in 1950s and trying to get into Soviet Union model. We yeah. failed. It's a fact we failed. And then later on, we, we respect the privatization because people need to be, to be motivated to give a little bit interest for themselves. So because they always ask why I'm doing it. If I, if, I, if I cannot be recognized, right? Either I recognize by giving me interest of value or I get recognized by social recognition that I'm doing something for, for humankind, for, for, for my own nation, for, for, the, uh, for this region, right? Yeah. I think people need to be. That's, I, that's probably is ingrained to this human. We need well, to be recognized. It's the whole 
magic behind motivation of people, you know, that, that yeah. you create yourself a purpose. Very cool. So is there anything for your research that, that anybody on the, on the call could help you with? What would be your big ask if you could ask anything? Well, currently what I'm doing is I, I'm writing case studies on, on different companies. So within the scope of entrepreneurship and innovation, and Don, thank you so much that you give me the opportunity to make my voice heard. And of course, I would need the help, and then especially from, from your audience and who, who are actually interested in this topic as well. I wanted to write case studies on, at the moment, on companies, how they are, how they are managing their innovative path. So they could be small companies and to bridge into the innovative uh, projects or startups, and then they're, try they're part of the uh, open innovation elements, components, or they could be big companies and with the business usual uh, model for certain years and trying to encourage from inside out and to create the innovative culture. So that uh, belongs to the category of the conversation we had previous time, the earlier, how to encourage inside to, to, get, them, to get them moving, to yeah. let them accept the failure, to, to recognize trying is be it's better than not trying. Failure, even failure, it's better than not trying. How can we have and how the company can create a certain safety net to create the balance so to maximize the value and to, to minimize the cost because failure is a cost as well. True. Yeah, this is what but I would like to know. Better to fail know. fast and then get it right from that moment onwards. Yeah, there's a quote, very beautiful quote. That's, that's the one. Another one would be, the more you fail, the faster you succeed. <laughs> exactly. Well, that's yeah. the case. Yeah. And I, I believe in that. I will... Definitely look out for those type of cases because I speak a lot of companies these days that uh, are exactly doing this. Mm -hmm. So thank you very much. And where can people go if they want to connect with you? Well, if they want to connect with me, they can uh, do, uh, they can add me on LinkedIn. Just type Lisa Sean and then plus a researcher and my, my profile will pop out. I'm uh, with a called the pond and or sending me emails. My email number is uh, l.shong l.xiong at Hans Business School. So that one is it's a little bit difficult to catch up, but then definitely through LinkedIn, you can get through me. So, okay. Yeah. Very yeah. good. Thank you very much, Lisa. It was really, uh, really inspiring. I, uh, I mean, I've, of course, everybody knows about China, but I've never looked at it from this perspective. Well, thank you, Don, for the opportunity. I think this is only, this is almost like the prelude right of of the whole beginning and general idea of what's what's going on now in china and i would i would love to follow up with you if if next time we have more uh, specific like uh, angle to cut into details and to discuss even uh, cases of chi of chinese companies and about its globalization about its problem domestically you know i would love to follow up with the more uh, conversation with you that sounds like a good plan lisa i look forward to that so thank you for this interview And for everybody else that's been listening to this podcast today, thank you for tuning in. I had the honor to speak to Lisa Chong, Senior Research Associate at École des Ponts Business School in Paris. The goal of this podcast is to share compelling ideas and showcases to inspire what can be when technology and people blend in the right way. 
It's my strong belief that too much focus is put on automating people out of a process, in other words, cutting costs, rather than scenarios where the unique strengths of people are augmented with technology to change the established rules and to deliver a value that was unimaginable before. So, with this podcast, I want to make a contribution to change this, to create a broader awareness of what can be, to accelerate the adoption by bringing together you, a tribe of like-minded people and organizations, and lastly, to accelerate the initiatives and solutions that could be created because one idea inspires the other. So if you know about stories that are worth sharing, please send me a message. Building the momentum all starts with revealing the ideas, and that starts with you. If you want to have more information, read my blogs, or obtain information on working with me, just visit me on my website, valueinspiration.com. Thank you for tuning in. And you could do me a big favor by rating the podcast or provide me with your feedback. I'll see you shortly in a new episode. That's what ransomware is all about. It's psychological pressure. Ransomware, when your computer's hacked into and your data held ransom. Attacks are on the rise and Russian gangs are making billions of dollars. The moment I got that message, I knew our greatest fears that we ever have are starting to come true. The post-Cold War era is over. Dot com, the hacking. A new season from Crowd Network with me, Katie Puckrick. Just search for dot com, that's D-O-T-C-O-M, and subscribe.